Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's President, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Hello and welcome to the Benefit Roast. It is ooh, April. No, it's May 6th. May 6th. I missed I missed my mark. I have trouble with that date every time. I'm Bob Graham and clearly I do not know what day it is, but that's because I'm so excited about our topic today. We are going to talk about a part of self-funded insurance that most people really don't understand. And Roger Bain is going to explain it really shortly. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing Roger Bain because he defies introduction. And I want to get right to the point today. So, Roger, are you ready to hit us over the face? Well, Bob, do we want to do any housekeeping first and let them know how to ask a question and those types of things? Uh, it, he's he's always he's always keeping me on track here. Let's. Uh, so, if you want to chat with us, there's a little chat box. You can go down and type in a question, or you can even raise your hand, and we will actually put you on the air with us. So you have those two options, and you can take advantage of that if you want to talk to us, or if you have a question, we'll take your questions. I think what you're about to hear from Roger is going to be really insightful about how self-funded insurance really works. So without further ado, I give you Roger Bain. Thanks, Bob. Much appreciated. So today's benefit roast, we're continuing our theme that we've had for the last couple of weeks, if you remember, and that is talking about the myths of self-funded, meaning those misconceptions held by the population that really doesn't understand it. What we know is that nearly 65% of all American workers are covered by a self-funded plan. But the smaller you go in the employer group size, the lower that percentage becomes. So as we get to the small group arena, where we're only looking at less than 10% of the small groups have really learned and understood and been able to attach themselves to the, the advantages that large groups get, we find that that's always because of education or misconception or a good answer that because of risk analysis and we find out they shouldn't be self-funded. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But first and foremost, when we talk about the myth of self-funded, myth number three for this week is, I don't qualify for better rates. And an employer will say that because they think that because they don't understand. They've been told by their brokers for years. And in some states, healthcare reform has been around a long time. In other states, it's just been since the ACA. But the ACA is now a long time, right? That was passed in 2010. Here we are in 2019. Many small businesses just don't even remember the old days when they could qualify for better rates in a variety of ways. So they think they have what they have and they don't have any choices. So that's the myth and that's what we're gonna try and debunk a little bit today. So who knows whether or not you deserve better rates? Do you know your group? That's the first question to ask. What do you know about your employee population? What do you think about your employee population? If you're a drywall company and you've got 23 guys out there hauling half inch sheets of drywall every day, you know they're healthy and, and certainly strong. So then you look at how many dependents you have and if everybody's at work and everybody's working, you might have a group that's really pretty healthy and not using a great deal of their health insurance benefits. And in that scenario, you very well may be paying far more than you need to be paying. So let's talk about it. It gets more complex as the group gets larger and in different scenarios. 
but knowing your group is the number one thing. Secondly, are you community rated? Well, most employers don't really know what that means yet, and they don't understand it. So let's talk to the small employer that is community rated under the ACA. Obamacare passed this massive law that says you're going to be charged the same rate as your neighbor, regardless of how much you use in your health insurance benefits. So it doesn't matter. If you're the same age and in the same location, your neighbor's going to pay the same premium you do, whether your group is healthier or not. So community rating means you really don't know if you're paying the fair and appropriate insurance premium. And most of us would have an objection to that if they, our auto insurance carrier did that, or even if your workers comp carrier did that, right? You're looking at your workers comp rates and you know you've been claim free and you haven't had any worksite incidents since so-and-so date and you've got the gold stars and the little plastic trophies from your carriers, from the meetings and your associations. You guys are stellar. You don't want to pay workers comp rates that are higher or as high as your neighbor who has complete opposite experience with a lot of challenges and risks. And it's the same thing with your auto insurance. If you're ticket free, you're accident free, you want to be paid. You want an insurance premium that says you're going to pay a rate that you deserve, not a rate that the 19-year-old kid down the street has totaled four cars in his first three years of driving is going to pay. So community rating is a big factor, and you've got to know if you're community rated or not, because if you're not, then in that scenario, your renewal means very little to you as far as providing you any information whatsoever. So the next question is, how was your renewal? Was it good? Was it strong? If you're community rated, doesn't matter. Ignore this question altogether. You're just being rated based on what the law says you have to pay in this particular format. But there are other formats to move to. So you look at that renewal. And if you're over 50 employees, in most states, you're going to be rated more on your own utilization and experience and claims. And in that scenario, now we have a whole set of new answers to discuss. We've got things that make a big difference. When you look at your renewal rate, if you have a 0% renewal, then what? So if you have a 35% renewal, then what? Small group, doesn't really matter. You're going to get whatever rate increase the market deserves based on your area and the demographics and the experience that have happened in your particular market. But when you get over that 50 your renewal means something. You don't necessarily know exactly what, and that's the challenge we need to get to answering. So tell me a little bit about your employees. Has John been out of work for three weeks for spinal surgery? Is somebody going to dialysis every day? Is everybody there at work proper, healthy, working hard? Who knows what? So these are the thought processes you have to go through as an employer and really start to understand your group, where they stand, what their composure is. So let's tell me about those employees. You know, many, many years ago when I was a broker, I ran into a group in Baltimore that basically made ties. And this tie company was comprised, and this is not intended to be politically unfriendly, it's really a true story. The bulk of their employee population were women over 70. And these women were sitting at sewing machines and they were sewing ties. And they were a very, very difficult health risk because of their upper age. And so that's a real challenge 
that most of us don't really recognize. This group was over 20 employees, so the group plan would be before Medicare. Medicare didn't provide a whole lot of relief to that. And it was a very interesting challenge in that perspective of how do you get quality coverage for a price you can afford for this particular group. So we have to know about your employees. You have to know about your employees to really get an understanding of whether you should deserve preferred rates or not. So let's find out, right? That's number one thing. Everything you do in business, you do from a perspective of understanding, right? You, before you buy a new computer or a new monitor or a new software program, you do your research. You look at it. You do demos. You find out whether it's the right product for you or not. For some reason in health insurance, we look at the benefit and the rate and nothing else. And it's really time to change that. So let's find out more about your group and we can work from there. Roger, this sounds really complicated for a business owner. Can you speak to that? Because what you've gone through is a lot of information. You say they need to find out, but it worries me that that sounds like it's a lot of effort. Can you help help just get to that? How much time are we talking about? What does that look like? Sure, Bob. That, that's actually pretty easy. That's kind of where we're headed to in the next slide here. It says finding out. Finding out can be done in a couple of different ways. And what we have done for all of 30 years that I've been in this business. One second here for a little technical glitch. Okay. And okay. So what we've done for many, many years, in my 30 years, is what we call underwriting. Now, underwriting is the same thing an insurance company would do if you were buying a large life insurance policy, right? They don't do that without first ask, asking a bunch of questions, finding out if you have one foot on the banana peel and one foot in the grave. You know, they want to find out where you stand, what's going on, how healthy you are, height, weight, medical history, conditions, even whether or not you are financially justified in having a larger life insurance policy, right? Because they don't like guys that have net worth of $42 getting a $5 million insurance policy because everything looks a little fishy at that point. So the bottom line is we're talking about insurable interest in that case. We're talking about medical conditions and risk. We're talking about a lot of different things. Well, that's what underwriting does is, and underwriting was present in health insurance for many, many, many years. And in fact, in many of the states that we're talking to on this teleconference, underwriting was still available and still in play all the way up to the passage of the ACA. Now, somewhere in the range of half of the states in the US had already had some level of state healthcare reform in place that at least reduced or constricted underwriting a little bit. But there was still a lot of underwriting going on in this country. Uh, Virginia is one of my closest neighbors that was still doing full underwriting on group plans all the way back to the days before the passage of the ACA in 2010. So underwriting, but, but that's a really great thing in one respect. It determines whether or not you get preferred rates or not. It can help you understand whether you get a better value. But unfortunately, the answer you get from an underwriting department consists of one of three choices. You either get a yes, we'll give you the insurance at the rate we quoted, or you'll get a no, you can't do it, we're turning you down, or you'll get a new number. And that new number says, 
yeah, we'll give you coverage, but it's going to cost you 15 or 20% more than we anticipated now that we've done our underwriting and looked at your group and found out who's going to be covered and what's going on. So that yes, no, or a new number isn't all that helpful to you as an employer. Certainly it gives you an answer. And unfortunately, that answer is usually from one company that you compiled all this work, all this information, you did all the medical questions for every employee, everybody turns it in, and you get one answer from one company that is void of information other than yes, no, or a new number. And that's not fun. So what we have pioneered and what we're talking about today is a group risk assessment. What we'd like to do, oops, sorry guys, screen's jumping a little bit there. What we'd like to do, instead of a simple underwriting process or a complex underwriting process with a simple answer, we'd rather help you do the research on your group right up front. With a group risk assessment, we can find out about the demographics of your group, including the industry, the location, genders of the people that are going to be covered, all the way down to the health insurance, excuse me, the health status. So when you look at this scenario, now we're talking about an entirely different game. Not only are we going to do the underwriting or gather the information that an underwriter would need, but we're going to do it in a different way. So let me show you a sample of that. Just one moment here. While Roger plays with some technical difficulties, uh, let me just uh, sort of recapture a couple of these things. So the traditional insurance model, I think, is the underwriting where they give you the yes, no, or new rate. Whereas it sounds like the self-funded option is where we're, we have the possibility to look at a group risk analysis, which will give us more information. Is that a good way to capture so far, Roger? That is correct in, in, in its own merits, but we can expand that even a little further and say once we get over 50 employees, we can do a group risk assessment either way. So it doesn't matter whether it's fully insured or self-funded, but for the most part, the work is self-funded is really the reason you would do it because you get a much better answer. So when we talk about a group risk assessment, the first thing we have to do is simplify it, make it easier to get the data we need, the information we need, and be able to get insurance carriers finally to compete for your business. You guys have heard about lending institutions on the internet say make the banks compete for your loan, right? Well, it's about time we start making the insurance companies compete for your health benefits in a way that is more educated than it has been in the past. And so by doing that, we have a much greater advantage for everything that we do. So if we go out to an electronic portal collect all of the information and get it in electronic form, we're able to then to move to something that gives you a much better answer. So when we do a group risk assessment, we're going to talk about not just underwriting that gives you a yes, a no, or a new number, but we're going to give you a group risk assessment that really gives you significant information. We're going to take the demographics and we're going to break them down into a more detailed analysis for you. We're going to look at that from a perspective of dependents and gender and employees and their age range in a way that you don't typically see. 
We're going to talk about the number of your members or the average age of the members over 18 and the average age of members under 18 because these things make a difference as well. We're going to use your industry and we're going to use your location. So we're going to understand better what we have in your group and we're going to be able to give you this information. Now, what's even more important is we're going to start talking about comparing your group to the national norms. And the reason is because this is kind of what underwriters are looking at is, is we have our assumptions about how many people smoke, how many people are overweight, how many people have high blood pressure. So we develop rates based on that. But if your group is running better than that, then maybe you deserve better than that. So you need to know that. You don't need just one insurance company to know that. You need to know that so you can work to help compete and get them to compete for your business on a whole different level. So you get tobacco user comparisons, you'll get body mass index comparisons, you'll get an idea of where your group stands. And then we're gonna talk about employer health conditions. So we're gonna get a handle on your employee population and what type of health conditions we have. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, those kinds of medical questions that really do make a difference in your risk. And we're going to look at the current conditions, those that you've had in the last two years or in the last five years, so that we can give you really valid information on what's going on with the group. And in addition to that, we're going to give you an understanding of the prescription drug utilization. Now, this sample I pulled up is just slightly out of date, but we now actually try and lay in next to these prescriptions what their typical cost is, or at least a range of that cost. So when you look at our group risk assessment, not only are you going to know what the real status of your group is from a demographic standpoint, you're going to know about what kind of health conditions are going on, and you're going to know the drugs that are being taken and how much they cost every month. Now think about how valuable that is if you're running a benefit plan where you really think that you're paying a lot more for coverage than you're getting back. Well, it sure would be nice to confirm that for a change. So that's what we're going to do. Roger, I'm looking at your screen and I'm seeing this information is all aggregated. So you're not seeing the, the exact person or number, you're seeing percentages, not the exact person who has this condition or that condition or takes this medication or that medication, correct? Well, that's a very good point, Bob, because when we look at these charts, we're giving you global information. That is true. If your group was only five employees, we probably wouldn't give you this much detail because then you could pinpoint which employee has which condition. And while it's legal to do that in this environment for this reason, we don't want that abused. We don't want anybody using it carelessly, et cetera. So we, we like to make sure that we keep this information de-identified, but still helpful and valuable. And I have a question from David who's saying, this is the same information that you're showing on your screens right now that a carrier in a traditional plan would have that I'm not being shared with? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Every carrier that has your health insurance in force knows this about your group already. They're paying the claims. They know what's going on. They have diagnosis groups. They have CPT codes. They have everything, so they know what procedures are being provided and what the diagnosis for those is, and that's why they're being provided. They know what prescription drugs are being utilized. They oftentimes know what they're being used for. Sometimes they don't, which means they could have a little bit of a disadvantage, but it's all out there, and they have that information. But no, they're absolutely not going to share it with you. 
and they rarely will tell you how good or how bad your group is unless it's in a self-serving way. Okay, um, do you wanna to move to your next slide, Roger? Uh, it takes a little work to move from screen to screen. So yeah, there you go. Uh, I think it's the next one, correct? There you go. Okay, back to Roger. So that whole group risk assessment, the whole point of that is to really understand your potential. Now, this is a number that is so very important. Over 70% of small groups receive less in benefits than they pay in premium. Okay, so when you deal with small groups, 70% receive less in benefits than they pay in premium. That is a huge, huge thing to consider. Preferred groups are a significant subset of that group. So probably over half of that 70% of those groups deserve preferred rates and just aren't getting them because they don't know, they don't understand, and they don't realize that there are ways and products available to them in that market. Roger, let me try to put this in English because you, you're talking a little complicated here. That means that the majority of groups that are self-funded are could get better rates. Am I, am I right about that? Or Okay, the majority of groups that are fully insured could get better rates, but they don't know that because they don't have the tools that you're talking about here. Because with the traditional carrier, you're not gonna get this kind of information. So you can't know where you stand and explore options. Is that right? Well, that is absolutely correct, Bob. And what's even worse is not only does the traditional carrier that already has your coverage, has this information and won't share it, but even if you go out to a new carrier and you go through their underwriting process, you do all the work to compile all of this information that they get and they still don't share it with you. All they give you is the yes, the no, or the new number, and they keep it close to the vest because they don't want to give it to their competitors. So the competitors could also use it to compete for your business. Well, that's what we do is we switch that table around. We capture that information in a way that we can use it to get the carriers to compete for your business. Okay. Why doesn't the ACA have that? They talked about transparency nine, 10 years ago. I remember sitting at a hearing in Washington where they were all about transparency. It seems like that's not as transparent as it could be. Well, the, the administration and all of the powers to be that talked about transparency leading up to the passage of the ACA, what we know as Obamacare, really didn't mean it, Bob. I'm sorry, but they just didn't. They really made little to no effort to demand transparency within these laws. So they talked about it because it sounds like a good game. And in fact, it is a good game. It's the only thing that would empower consumers to understand better and to shop better is transparency. And they left it out of the law. I have a question from Karen here, Roger. She's saying, you said that you have insurers that will compete for a group are those the same carriers or are they the same quality carriers or are we are we talking about inferior uh, insurance companies well we're talking about large carriers and small carriers oftentimes they are the same carriers offering self-funded plans and these more innovative options and other times they are very large insurance companies just selling a different type of coverage 
and that can be as effective. And so they're all insured by top-notch, heavily rated carriers with lots of reserves, but sometimes they're names that are not recognized in the normal health insurance business because they're big names elsewhere. And Roger, your company has a line of uh, products, right? Can you talk about those just a little bit since you're in this arena? Well, yeah, we'll try and keep it educational as much as we can without dumping an ad on everyone. But yeah, we're one of those organizations that devises and develops and manages options that are more innovative for preferred groups. And those self-funded platforms, we pull together all the parts and components, including those insurance carriers that provide the protection for the employer to go ahead and self-fund their coverage without taking on risks beyond what they want to in their rates. So we develop that rate structure, that mechanics, and the benefit plan design. So, But the advantage of what we do in our group risk assessment isn't just that product. It's a great product, and we do a good job with it, and we sell a lot of coverage. But at the same time, we're not arrogant enough to think we can win every case, and we can't. And so we will work with United and Aetna and Starmark, which is a subsidiary of Trustmark, which is a $3 billion insurance company. It's not nearly as recognized as the other guys because they work in a slightly different type of way in different marketplace, but they own the largest administrator in the country. And so they do tremendous things. Um, and then there's a handful of others. So we will have probably a dozen different self-funded options with multiple plans in each one of those, where in the fully insured market today, you're lucky if you find three or four options. So we really get to open up the market when we start taking this new approach of using a group risk assessment and then go out to these markets in this particular segment and win. And so it really helps a lot. And those preferred rates, as you see on your screen now, could really reflect some pretty significant discounts. But even when it's close, they win. Roger, I'm concerned because sometimes when I go to a restaurant and I have 10 or 12 choices, I can't pick from those 10 or 12 versus three or four. So what are some of the criteria that we use to select or how does a small business owner deal with that big menu? Because 10, 12 items scares me. Well, Bob, that's a really good question. Um, and you might have noticed when we showed the group risk assessment that we had a big logo on the top of that on the cover that talks about the self-funded exchange. And that exchange, 99 out of 100 times, is going to get you into a scenario that says we have some very specific answers for you already. We're boiling this down to a very specific direction. And those options that could be 12 or 15 carriers are likely going to be one or two that are gonna be in the forerunners, and then we're gonna to talk to your agent about that and let the agent deliver to you the very best option so you can make your decision from there. So it's really not as complex, challenging, and difficult as it could be. That's part of our job and part of the advantage of doing it this way. You know, I can't tell you how many times we talk to brokers that are spreadsheeting all of these different options, and it's not just three carriers, it's three carriers that have 70 different deductible and coinsurance configurations. And it's just kind of an exercise in futility. You know, <laughs> comparing apples to apples is outrageously difficult. So what we do is we're gonna look at quality benefits, better pricing and drive it down to the two or three options that really make the most sense for the group. And that's a component of strategy sometimes as well. Once you find out the status of your group and you learn more about your group, 
you also know what type of benefits is better suited for them. When you're going blind, you don't know. You could be picking a high deductible plan for a group that everybody's going to be hitting high deductibles and they're going to be completely unhappy with their benefits. Or you could be going a low deductible for a group that's healthy as could be and never using the benefits. And then you're paying far more than you have to. If you don't know, you don't know. And that's a problem. Many small employers today don't know what they don't know. And that's what we like to fix. So essentially what you're saying is the broker is serving as the waiter and saying, do you want fish or do you want steak tonight? And then saying, okay, if you'd like steak, there are four items down on this side or two items on this side that I think you'll be really pleased with. And over on this side, there is the other, the other things that you may want to look at, but these are the priorities that you're probably going to like best. Is that a good way to carry my analogy to the end? It might be, but it might be a little too soft, Bob. Because when we get it down to this is what you like or what you might like, it's more like these are the best options available to you. Okay, so these are tonight's specials. And guess what? We're all out of fish. Because maybe your group doesn't qualify for fish. <laughs> right? So, so moving apart from the, the analogy and getting back to reality, some groups are going to qualify for really strong preferred rates. And other groups won't. So we'll be looking at whatever options we have either way, and that's where we'll work with the broker to deliver whatever does fit. But the real key is that when you qualify for those preferred rates, the advantage is really significant because you're not only getting better rates, but most often you're getting better benefits because in the fully insured plans, the numbers are so high that employers have gone to deductibles that average over $3,000 now. In our market, our best-selling plan is a $1,000 deductible, which is still really reasonable and very strong in today's benefit world. So you've got to look at those kind of things as well. Frank's writing a note here that says, this all seems impossible, that you could have better rates and better options. That just doesn't make sense. Why, why would anyone do that if they could get more money in terms of a carrier? Well, let's talk about this. Um, when we look at starting an insurance company, Frank, you, let's say you wanted to start a homeowner's insurance company. And the law required you in this particular type of policy to offer everybody the same rate. If their house was on fire or flooded with eight feet of water, or spinning around in circles with a wicked witch flying around the house. And then you had to offer them the same rate as the guy that was planted dry and not on fire. What would happen to those rates? And how do you feel about that? Or if you're a driver that has no tickets and no accidents, do you want to pay the same price as the 19 year old boy that has totaled three cars in his first three years of driving? So when we look at this discussion, we got to put a little reality of insurance. Reality is risk. Insurance is risk-based. That's the reality. And the ACA has stripped that out of that small group market in a way that really takes a disadvantage to too many groups. And this is why we kind of objected to the passage of the law. Everybody thinks it's an insurance company's law in, in practice, and it's really not. So there's some interesting things there that are a much deeper discussion. But the advantage is that if you should get rates that are more precisely designed for your group in, a, in a many, many occasions. Not always, 
but many occasions, and that's where we, we do it. And the interesting thing is over half of those groups that buy these preferred rates and benefits at a better deal get even more money back at the end of the year because they don't spend all of the claims dollars. And if you don't spend it in the self-funded world, you get that back. So you're buying the best value in rates and you're getting some of that back over half of the time. That's a huge deal and a huge value in that market segment that is being underplayed in the groups under 100, probably by 80 to 90% of groups are missing that boat completely. Frank saying, why did no one tell me about this before? Well, uh, a lot of people, a lot of your health insurance brokers don't understand it, or it's just more work and they don't want to deal with that, or they're getting paid a big bonus by their current carrier to keep you right where you are. And so sometimes there are disincentives that you have to really focus on and, and work around and talk to your broker very candidly and say, hey, I need to know all of my options and let's get them. Um, I've got a question on screen from Rusty. It says, does the health assessment require individual risk questionnaires? Um, the answer is yes, and that's what we talked about, a health um, risk assessment. When we do a group risk assessment, we are going to each employee to get an analysis of their medical history and their current health status. And that's how we develop the group risk assessment data that we give you that shows you health conditions of the employee population. Now, there are carriers in our business that have tried to shortcut that with something called RX underwriting. There's a couple of different methods out there where you just get, you go out to the databases that are available in the marketplace and you pull all the drug utilization data in the group and you give the group, you give the insurance company a health risk score based on their prescription drug utilization but it's failing miserably <laughs> so much so that one of the major carriers that we work with has just changed their policy increased the size of the group eligible to use that and will give you a hundred dollar per employee bonus to do it the other way to fill out individual medical questionnaires instead of using the group risk analysis so so or the, the rx analysis excuse me so the group risk analysis that pulls those individual questionnaires and not only gets more accurate, better information for the insurance company, that's how it gets you better rates. And in some cases, even bonuses from the insurance company because you're giving them more information and that's what they need. So Roger, we have a lot of small business owners listening and watching this podcast and webinar. Can you tell them what the next steps would be if they want to pursue this? Well, yeah, I can do that because we'll wrap up there. We'll take any other questions that we have. But yeah, the next step is is simply to, to reach out and let us know that they'd like to get started. If you're a small employer online and, and any one of you would like to do that, then just give me a call. And that's Roger Bain. And I'm at 443-275-7412. We'll match you up with a broker that can help get you through the process. We can get you started. But ultimately, you'll want a broker that understands exactly what we're doing. So we'll refer these out and get those working so they can work with the broker. If you have a broker you love and he's just not familiar with this stuff, you let us know. We'll get him trained and up to speed for you. So either way, we'll make sure we can get the job done. Our job is to make sure you get the best value that you can get. So the process starts with a really simple form that we call client information form. We would send your broker a link or send you a link directly and you can get it to your broker. And it just says name, rank, and serial number comp of the company. 
And then we will set up a customized web portal for your employee population to go in and type in their information. And we will send you out a, a welcome letter with instructions and procedures for each employee. And then they go out and complete those. And as they complete those, we monitor them. We send the employer a report every morning, send the employer a report every morning that tells them how many employees have completed their enrollment, how many have not gotten it yet, et cetera. So we get a real good handle on the process. In the meantime, we can periodically check those enrollment forms and individual questionnaires and find out if there are any big red flags or challenges and help develop the strategy during the process. Once they're all completed, we're gonna shop multiple carriers at the same time with all of this information. And we're gonna find the carriers that are gonna compete best for your business. And we're gonna make sure we align and develop the proposal to meet the needs based on that. So between what we do and what your broker does, we're gonna achieve the very best option for you one way or another. And Roger, how long does it take the average employee to fill out that uh, risk assessment? That individual risk assessment, that portal, it can take as little as 15 minutes, as much as 40 minutes, depending on the computer savvy of the individual and the medical history of the individual. If they've got a whole lot of medical history, it's going to take them a little more time to fill out the blocks and, and get it done. But that's it. And our welcome letter will tell them what to be prepared with. So if an employee has a spouse and children, you know, they'll have a little community powwow with mom and dad first to get a handle on what medical history they have and what drugs are being taken. So they have that at their fingertips when they go in. And if they follow those kinds of instructions and they're prepared when they go in, 20 to 30 minutes and you're finished. And so it's interesting because when we first started doing this, which was about five years ago, by the way, we, we converted from the paper enrollment individual medical questionnaires to the electronic portal. It was really amazing to me because the system alerted us every night whenever an employee filled out an application. And I would go to bed at 11 o'clock and get up at five o'clock and have emails about all of the employees that have signed their enrollment forms overnight. So we've got people filling out medical apps at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's just amazing how it works. And, and we've had employers that say my employees just are not that computer savvy until we say, well, let's check Facebook and see how many of them are there. And, they're all there. And we had one group of about 80 employees one time tell us that my employees will never do this online. We've got to do this paper. So we said, okay, one of, one of my sales, senior sales guys said, uh, let's prepare all the paperwork. That'll take about two weeks. We'll schedule the meeting. And we'll come out, present to your employees. But is there any reason why not to set up the electronic portal and notify them of that in the interim? And they said, no, that makes sense. Let's get that done. And then we'll do the rest in paper. 80% of the employees were finished, 80% of the employees were finished their enrollment before we got to the meeting in two weeks. So it just gives you an idea that, that we're, we'd be surprised just how much our folks really do know out there. So it's important. Um, but the bottom line is it's an easy process. It can take from a, a, for a group, some groups, depending on the personality group and the leadership, we'll get them back in a week. Others might take 30 or 60 days to get all their employees to finally just take the time to go in and do it. But ultimately, once they do it, it speeds the process rapidly because the applications are more complete. They're not in crazy handwriting. They're not done in crayon or pencil. They're always there with credible information that we can use and it helps speed the process and the credibility. It actually gets better rates out of the insurance company than those handwritten applications that leave so many questions and a lack of confidence in the reader. So it's really an interesting 
um, human aspect of the business as well. Roger, do you find that uh, employees don't want to fill this out ever? Is that a problem at all? Or how, if it is, how do you deal with it? Oh, every once in a while, we'll get an employee that says, eh, this is private information. I don't have to give you this. And the reality is they don't, but they don't also have to get coverage from you. So most of the stronger employers, a stronger employer typically says, look, you either fill out the form, answer all the questions appropriately, honestly, and accurately, or you sign this waiver and you're not getting benefits. And if you don't sign the waiver within 14 days, you're deemed to be a waiver automatically, you know, because it's just irrational. Every once in a while, you get an employee that just gets goofy and you have to work through that process. But, you know, usually it's an educational process. They think the Privacy Act says you don't have to give the information. The Privacy Act protects the employee from an employer misusing the information, not not having the information. For, for example, an employer has to have private health information from an employee in order to write their paycheck. You can't write a paycheck without a social security number, right? So you have to have PHI. You're just not allowed to use it, give it out or distribute it for all the wrong reasons. So that's what that's about. Roger, we don't have any more questions. You've covered a lot of ground. We probably should wrap things up. I just want to tell people right now, uh, you probably see on the screen that after a session, you can fill out this attendee form and get a uh, cup of coffee on us. We'll send you a nice uh, coupon or uh, credit slip so that you can actually get a cup of coffee and join us next week with uh, your coffee in hand. And Roger, why don't you tell them one more time how they can get in touch with you in case they have questions or wanna move forward on this. Okay, let me do that, Bob, but let me also direct everyone to look at their little chat box. In the chat box, there's an, a link that you see on the bottom of this slide but it's already there as a hyperlink, so you don't have to type all that crazy stuff into your browser. You click on that link, and then you can request uh, the $5 for your cup of coffee, because we all want you to have a cup of coffee for these meetings, because I can't keep you awake without it. We need your help. But anyway, for whatever reason, uh, if you need me, it's Roger Bain at 443-275-7412, or it's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, dot Bain, B-A-Y-N-E, at benefitindemnity.co. We'll actually add that to the slide and get that on your screen for the future. But anyway, thank you very much for coming today. I don't see any other questions popping up on my screen. So let me check one more time in the appropriate window. I see none. Having that said that, guys, thank you all for being here today. We much appreciate it. And we'll look forward to hearing from you next week. Take care. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.